Have you ever laid in bed, comfortably tucked under the covers, eyes closed shut, body perfectly still, but finding it impossible to fall asleep? Or have you woken up randomly in the middle of the night, and for no good reason you just can't seem to find a way to get back to sleep? Or do you spend time at night, anxiously worried about tomorrow, and you can't seem to get your mind off it? If you can relate to any of these questions, then you're in the right place. This is the Sound Asleep Podcast, where bedtime is better with a sleep story. I'm your host, Kevin. A few years ago, I consistently found myself struggling to fall asleep at night. The moment my head hit the pillow, I was restless, and my mind would race, thinking about anything and everything. Then one day, I stumbled upon sleep stories and their incredible relaxing power that would help me fall asleep. I wanted to share this incredible gift, and I started to publish my own sleep stories for the world's largest meditation app, Insight Timer. After a few months and a couple hundred thousand downloads, I figured it was time to share this with the rest of the world. And that's how this podcast came to be. So go ahead, relax, and let me read you a story so you can have a great night's sleep tonight. Tonight we are following a journey of two hobbits named Merry and Pippin through an enchanted forest as they meet a famous tree who goes by the name of Treebeard. This story is taken from the second book of the Lord of the Rings series, The Two Towers, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. It has been modified, and I assure you contains no spoilers. Before we get into our story, let's first find a comfortable position. See if you can't make yourself just a little bit more comfortable. Go ahead and observe your breath, but don't try to control it. Just notice it in its natural rhythm. When you're ready, take a nice, deep, relaxing breath. On the exhale, release all extra thoughts and worries for now. Let's settle in and begin our story. Mary and Pippin are two fellow hobbits. They recently have escaped from captivity after being held hostage. This is where our story picks up, as they happen upon the magical forest of Fangorn. The woods of Fangorn are rumored to be alive. In this sense, there are trees that can talk. These trees are referred to as Ents. Here we enter into the story as they make their way through the edge of the forest. The hobbits went with as much speed as the dark and tangled forest allowed, following the line of the running stream westward and up towards the slopes of the mountains, deeper and deeper into Fangorn. Slowly their fear of the orcs died away, and their pace slackened. A queer, stifling feeling came over them, as if the air were too thin or too scanty for breathing. At last Mary halted. We can't go on like this, he panted. Let's have a drink at any rate, said Pippin. I'm parched. 
he clambered on to a great tree root that wound down into the stream, and stooping, drew up some water in his cupped hands. It was clear and cold. He took many draughts. Mary followed him. The water refreshed them, and seemed to cheer their hearts. For a while they sat together on the brink of the stream, dabbling their sore feet and legs, and peering around at the trees that stood silently about them in every direction. I suppose you haven't lost us already, said Pippin, leaning back against a great tree trunk. We can at least follow the course of this stream, the Entwash, or whatever you call it, and get out again the way we came. We could if our legs would do it, said Mary, and if we could breathe properly. Yes, it is all very dim and stuffy in here, said Pippin. It reminds me somehow of the old room in the great place of our grandfather, where the furniture has never been moved or changed for generations. They say the old man lived in it year after year, while he and the room got older and shabbier together, and it has never been changed since he died, a mere century ago. But that is nothing to the old feeling of this wood. Look at all those weeping, trailing beards and whiskers of moss. And most of the trees seem to be half covered with ragged dry leaves that have never fallen. I can't imagine what spring would look like here, if it ever comes. But the sun at any rate must peep in sometimes, said Mary. That was all dark and black, and home of dark black things. This is just dim and frightfully tree-ish. You can't imagine animals living here at all. No, nor hobbits, said Pippin. I don't like the thought of trying to get through it either. Nothing to eat for a hundred miles, I should guess. We ran off with nothing but a couple of spare packets of lembas and left everything else behind. Lembas are a magical cake-like biscuit that are baked by elves and have a certain type of magic in them. They give an abundance of energy to those that eat it. They looked at what remained of the elven cakes, broken fragments for about five meager days, that was all. And not a wrap or blanket, said Mary. We shall be cold tonight, whichever way we go. Well, we'd better decide on the way now, said Pippin. The morning must be getting on. Just then, they became aware of a yellow light that had appeared some way further into the wood. Shafts of sunlight seemed suddenly to have pierced the forest roof. The sun must have run into a cloud while we've been under these trees, said Mary, and now she has run out again, or else she has climbed high enough to look down through some opening. It isn't far. They found it was further than they thought. The ground was rising steeply still, and it was becoming increasingly stony. The light grew broader as they went on, and soon they saw that there was a rock wall before them, the side of a hill, or the abrupt end of some long route thrust out by the distant mountains. No trees grew on it, and the sun was falling full on its stony face. The twigs of the trees at its foot were stretched out stiff and still, as if reaching out to the warmth. Where all had looked so shabby and gray before, the wood now gleamed with rich browns and with the smooth black grays of bark like polished leather. The boles of the trees glowed 
with a soft green like young grass. Early spring, or a fleeting vision of it, was about them. In the face of the stony wall there was something like a stare, natural perhaps, and made by the weathering and splitting of the rock, for it was rough and uneven. High up, almost level with the tops of forest trees, there was a shelf under a cliff. Nothing grew there but a few grasses and weeds at its edge, and one old stump of a tree with only two bent branches left. It looked almost like the figure of some gnarled old man, standing there blinking in the morning light. Up we go, said Mary joyfully. Now for a breath of air and a sight of the land. They climbed and scrambled up the rock. If the stair had been made, it was for bigger feet and longer legs than theirs. They came at length to the edge of the shelf, almost at the feet of the old stump. Then they sprang up and turned around with their backs to the hill, breathing deep and looking out eastward. They saw that they had only come some three or four miles into the forest. The heads of the trees marched down the slopes towards the plain. There, near the fringe of the forest, tall spires of curling black smoke went up, wavering and floating towards them. The wind's changing, said Mary. It's turned east again. It feels cool up here. Yes, said Pippin. I'm afraid this is only a passing gleam, and it will all go gray again. What a pity. This shaggy old forest looks so different in the sunlight. I almost felt like I liked the place. Almost felt like you liked the forest? That's good. That's uncommonly kind of you, said a strange voice. Turn round and let me have a look at your faces. I almost feel that I dislike you both. Turn around. A large knob-knuckled hand was laid on each of their shoulders, and they were twisted around gently but irresistibly. Then two great arms lifted them up. They found that they were looking at a most extraordinary face. It belonged to a large, man-like, almost troll-like figure at least fourteen feet high, very sturdy, with a tall head and hardly any neck. Whether it was clad in stuff like green and gray bark, or whether that was its hide, was difficult to say. At any rate, the arms, at a short distance from the trunk, were not wrinkled, but covered with a brown, smooth skin. The large feet had seven toes each. The lower part of the long face was covered with a sweeping gray beard, bushy, almost twiggy at the roots, thin and mossy at the ends. But at that moment the hobbits noted little but the eyes. These deep eyes were now surveying them, slow and solemn, but very penetrating. They were brown, shot with a green light. Often afterwards Pippin tried to describe his first impression of them. He would say, one felt as if there was an enormous well behind them, filled up with ages of memory and long, slow, steady thinking, but their surface was sparkling with the present, like sun shimmering on the outer leaves of a vast tree, or on the ripples of a very deep lake. I don't know, but it felt as if something that grew in the ground, asleep, you might say, or just feeling itself as something between root tip and leaf tip between deep earth and sky, had suddenly waked up and was considering you with the same slow care that it had given to its own inside affairs for endless years. Hum, hum, 
murmured the voice, a deep voice, like a very deep woodwind instrument. Very odd indeed. Do not be hasty. That is my motto. I heard your voices. I liked them. Nice little voices. They reminded me of something I cannot remember. If I had seen you before I heard you, I should have just trodden all over you, taking you for orcs, and then would have found out my mistake afterwards. Very odd you are indeed. Pippin, though still amazed, no longer felt afraid. Under those eyes he felt a curious suspense, but not fear. Please, he said, who are you, and what are you? A queer look came into the old eyes, a kind of wariness. The deep wells were covered over. Hmm, now, answered the voice. Well, I am an Ent, or that's what they call me. Yes, Ent is the word, the Ent. I am, you might say, in your manner of speaking. Fanghorn is my name, according to some. Treebeard, others make it. An Ent, said Mary. What do you call yourself? What's your real name? Oh, now that would be telling. Not so hasty. And I am doing the asking. You are in my country. What are you, I wonder? I cannot place you. You do not seem to come in the old lists that I learned when I was young. But that was a long, long time ago. They may have made new lists. Let me see. Hmm, hmm, hmm. How did it go? It was a long list. But anyway, you don't seem to fit in it anywhere. We always seem to have got left out of the old lists and the old stories, said Mary. Yet, we've been about for quite a long time. We are hobbits. Hmm, not bad, not bad, said Treebeard. So you live in holes, eh? It sounds very right and proper. Who calls you hobbits, though? That does not sound elvish to me. Elves made all the old words. They began it. Nobody else calls us hobbits. We call ourselves that, said Pippin. Oh, come now. Not so hasty. You call yourselves hobbits? But you should not go telling just anybody. You'll be letting out your own right names if you're not careful, said Treebeard. We aren't careful about that, said Mary. As a matter of fact, I'm a Brandybuck, Marriadoc Brandybuck, though most people just call me Mary. And I'm a Took, Peregrine Took, but I'm generally called Pippin, or even Pip. Hmm, but you are hasty folk, I see, said Treebeard. I am honored by your confidence, but you should not be too free all at once. There are Ents and Ents, you know. For there are ants and things that look like us, but ain't, as you might say. I'll call you Mary and Pippin if you please, for I am not going to tell you my name, not yet at any rate. A half-knowing, half-humorous look came with a green flicker into his eyes. For one thing, it would take a long time. My name is growing all the time, and I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of things they belong to in my language. In the old Entish, as you might say, it is a lovely language, but it takes a very long time to say anything in it. 
Where are we? asked Mary. I do not know what the word is in the outside languages, you know. The thing we are on, where I stand and look out on fine mornings, and think about the sun and the grass beyond the wood. And the horses and the clouds and the unfolding of the world. What is going on? replied Treebeard. Hill? suggested Pippin. A shelf or a step? suggested Mary. Treebeard repeated the last words thoughtfully. Hill. Yes. Yes, that was it. But it is a hasty word for a thing that has stood here ever since this part of the world was shaped. Never mind. Let us leave it and go. Where shall we go? asked Mary. To my home, or one of my homes, answered Treebeard. Is it far? I do not know. You might call it far, perhaps. But what does that matter? Well, you see, we have lost all of our belongings. We only have a little food. Hmm. You need not trouble about that, said Treebeard. I can give you a drink that will keep you green and growing for a long, long while. And if we decide to part company, I can set you down outside my country at any point you choose. Holding the hobbits gently but firmly, one in the crook of each arm, Treebeard lifted up first one large foot and then the other and moved them to the edge of the shelf. The root-like toes grabbed the rocks. Then carefully and solemnly, he stalked down from step to step. At once he set off with long, deliberate strides through the trees, deeper and deeper into the wood, climbing steadily up towards the slopes of the mountains. Many of the trees seemed asleep, or as unaware of him as of any other creature that merely passed by. But some quivered, and some raised up their branches above his head as he approached. All the while, as he walked, he talked to himself in a long running stream of musical sounds. The hobbits were silent for some time. They felt, oddly enough, safe and comfortable, and they had a great deal to think and wonder about. At last, Pippin ventured to speak again. Please, Treebeard, could I ask you something? Why were we warned against your forest? We were told that we should not risk getting entangled in it. Hmm. Is that right? rumbled Treebeard. And I might have said much the same if you had been going through the other way. This is what the elves used to say. Perhaps they are right. Maybe the forest is fading, not growing. The land of the valley of singing gold. That was it once upon a time. Ah, uh, well, it is a different place. It is a strange place, and not just for anyone to venture in. I'm surprised you ever got in, but I'm much more surprised that you ever got out. That has not happened to strangers for many a year. Like I said, it is a strange land. Things have changed, but it is still true in places. What do you mean? said Pippin. What is true? The trees and the ents, said Treebeard. I do not understand all that goes on myself, so I cannot explain it to you. Some of us are still true ents, and lively enough in our own fashion, but many are growing sleepy 
going tree-ish, as you might say. Most of the trees are just trees, of course, but many are half awake. Some are quite wide awake, and a few are, well, getting entish. That's going on all the time. When that happens to a tree, you find that some have bad hearts. Nothing to do with their wood. I don't mean that. Why, I know some good old willows down the river, gone long ago, alas. They were quite hollow. Indeed, they were falling all to pieces, but as quiet and sweet-spoken as a young leaf. And then there were some trees in the valleys, under the mountains. Sound as a bell, but bad right through. That sort of thing seems to spread. There used to be some dangerous parts in this country. There still are. Like the old forest away to the north, do you mean? asked Mary. Something like, but much worse. I do not doubt there is some shadow of the darkness here, still away north. And bad memories are handed down. But there are hollow dales in this land. Still, we do what we can. We keep off strangers and the foolhardy. And we train and we teach and we walk and we weed. We are tree herds, we old ents. Few enough of us are left now. Sheep get like shepherds, and shepherds like sheep. But slowly, and neither have long in the world. It is quicker and closer with trees and ents, and they walk down the ages together. For ents are more like elves, less interested in themselves than men are, and better at getting inside other things. And yet again, ents are more like men, more changeable than elves, and quicker at taking the color of the outside, you might say, or better than both, for they are steadier and keep their minds on things longer. Some of my kin look just like trees now, and need something great to rouse them, and they speak only in whispers, but many of my trees can talk to me. Elves began it, of course, waking trees up and teaching them to speak and learning their tree talk. They always wish to talk to everything. But, over time, they passed away over the sea and fled into far valleys. They hid themselves and made songs about days that would never come again. Those were the broad days. Time was when I could walk and sing all day and hear no more than the echo of my own voice in these hollow hills. Treebeard fell silent, striding along, and yet making hardly a sound with his great feet. He began to hum again, and passed into a murmuring chant. He ended, and strode on, silently, and in all the wood, as far as ear could reach, there was not a sound. The day waned, and dusk was twined about the boles of the trees. At last the hobbits saw, rising dimly before them, a steep, dark land. They had come to the foot of the mountains, and to the green roots of tall trees. Down the hillside the young stream, leaping from its springs high above, ran noisily from step to step to meet them. 
On the right of the stream there was a long slope, clad with grass, now gray in the twilight. No trees grew there, and it was open to the sky. Stars were shining already in lakes between shores of cloud. Treebeard strode up the slope, hardly slackening his pace. Suddenly before them the hobbits saw a wide opening. Two great trees stood there, one on either side, like living gateposts. But there was no gate besides their crossing and interwoven branches. As the old treebeard approached, the trees lifted up their branches, and all their leaves quivered and rustled. For they were evergreen trees, and their leaves were dark and polished, and they gleamed in the twilight. Beyond them was a wide level space, as though the floor of a great hall had been cut in the side of the hill. On either hand the walls sloped upwards until they were fifty feet high or more, and along each wall stood an aisle of trees that also increased in height as they marched inwards. At the far end the rock wall was sheer, but at the bottom it had been hollowed back to a shallow bay with an arched roof. The only roof of the hall, besides the branches of the trees, which at the inner end overshadowed all the ground, leaving only a broad open path in the middle. A little stream escaped from the springs above, and leaving the main water fell tinkling down the sheer face of the wall, pouring in silver drops like a fine curtain in front of the arched bay. The water was gathered again into a stone basin in the floor between the trees and there it spilled and flowed away beside the open path, out to rejoin the stream in its journey through the forest. Hmm, here we are, said Treebeard, breaking his long silence. I have brought you about seventy thousand endstrides. But what does that mean in the measurement of your land, I don't know. Anyhow, we are near the roots of the last mountain. Part of the name of this place might be Wellinghall, if it were turned into your language. We will stay here tonight. He set them down on the grass between the aisles of the trees, and they followed him towards the great arch. The hobbits now noticed that as he walked his knees hardly bent, but his legs opened in a great stride. He planted his big toes, and they were indeed big and very broad, on the ground first, before any other part of his feet. For a moment, Treebeard stood under the rain of the falling spring and took a deep breath. Then he laughed and went inside. A great stone table stood there, but no chairs. It was already quite dark. Treebeard lifted two great vessels and stood them on the table. They seemed to be filled with water. But he held his hands over them, and immediately they began to glow, one with a golden light and the other with a rich green light. And the blending of the two lights lit the bay, as if the sun of summer was shining through a roof of young leaves. Looking back, the hobbits saw that the trees in the court had also begun to glow, faintly at first, but steadily quickening, until every leaf was edged with light. Some green, some gold, some red as copper, while the tree trunks looked like pillars molded out of luminous stone. 
Well, well, now we can talk again, said Treebeard. You are thirsty, I expect. Perhaps you are also tired. Drink this. He went to the back of the bay. And then they saw that several tall stone jars stood there, with heavy lids. He removed one of the lids, and dipped in a great ladle, and with it filled three bowls. One very large bowl, and two smaller ones. This is an house, he said, and there are no seats, I fear. But you may sit on the table. Picking up the hobbits, he set them on the great stone slab, six feet above the ground. And there they sat, dangling their legs and drinking in sips. The drink was like water, indeed, very like the taste of the droughts they had drunk from the river near the borders of the forest. And yet there was some scent or savor in it which they could not describe. It was faint. The effect of the drought began at the toes and rose steadily through every limb, bringing refreshment and vigor as it coursed upwards right to the tips of the hair. Indeed, the hobbits felt that the hair on their heads was actually standing up, waving and curling and growing. As for Treebeard, he first set his feet in the basin beyond the arch, and then he drained his bowl at one long, slow drought. The hobbits thought he would never stop. At last he set the bowl down. Ah, he sighed. Mmm, now we can talk easier. You can sit on the floor, and I will lie down. This will prevent the drink from rising to my head and sending me to sleep. On the right side of the bay, there was a great bed on low legs, not more than a couple of feet high, covered deep in dried grass and bracken. Treebeard lowered himself slowly onto this, with only the slightest sign of bending at his middle, until he lay at full length with his arms behind his head, looking up at the ceiling upon which lights were flickering like the play of leaves in the sunshine. Merry and Pippin sat beside him on pillows of grass. Now tell me your tale, and do not hurry, said Treebeard. The hobbits began to tell him the story of their adventures, ever since they left their home. They followed no clear order, for they interrupted one another continually, and Treebeard often stopped the speaker and went back to some earlier point, or jumped forward asking questions about later events. They said nothing about their true reason for the journey, and they did not tell him why they set out or where they were going to. And he did not ask for any reasons. He was immensely interested in everything. He made them describe their homeland and its country over and over again. He said an odd thing at this point. You never see any, um, any ants around there, do you? He asked. Well, not ants, but ant wives, I should really say. Ant wives, said Pippin. Are they like you at all? Yes, hmm, well, no. I do not really know now, said Treebeard thoughtfully. But they would like your country, so I just wondered. Why are there so few of you, when you have lived in this country for so long? asked Pippin. Have a great many died? Oh no, said Treebeard. None have died from inside, as you might say. Some have fallen in the evil chances of long years, of course, and some have grown more tree-ish. But there were never many of us, and we have not increased. There have been no children, you would say. 
Not for a terrible long count of years, you see, after we lost the Entwives. How very sad, said Pippin. How was it that they all died? They did not die, said Treebeard. I never said died. We lost them, I said. We lost them and we cannot find them, he sighed. I thought most folk knew that. There were songs about the hunt of the Ents for the Entwives, sung among elves and men, across all the land. Well, I'm afraid those songs never came west to our home, said Mary. Will you tell us some more, or sing us one of the songs? Yes, I will indeed, said Treebeard, seeming pleased with the request. But I cannot tell it properly, only in short, and then we must end our talk. For tomorrow we have work to do, and maybe another journey to start. It is rather a strange and sad story, he went on after a pause. When the world was young, and the woods were wide and wild, the Ents and the Entwives, they walked together, and they housed together. But our hearts did not go on growing in the same way. The Ents gave their love to things that they met in the world, and the Entwives gave their thought to other things. For the Ents loved the great trees and the wild woods and the slopes of high hills, and they drank of the mountain streams and ate only such fruit as the trees let fall in their path, and they learned of the elves and spoke with the trees. Entwives gave their minds to other things, and to the meads in the sunshine beyond the feet of the forests. And they saw the slow in the thicket, and the wild apple and the cherry blossoming in spring, and the green herbs in the waterlands in summer, and the seeding grasses in the autumn fields. They did not desire to speak with these things, but they wished to hear them and obey what was said to them. The Entwives ordered them to grow according to their wishes, and bear leaf and fruit to their liking. For the Entwives desired order and peace, by which they meant that things should remain where they had set them. So the Entwives made gardens to live in, but we Ents went on wandering, and we only came to the gardens now and again. When the great darkness came in the north, the Entwives crossed the river and made new gardens and tilled new fields, and we saw them more seldom. After the darkness was overthrown, the land of the Entwives blossomed richly, and their fields were full of corn. Many men learned the crafts of the Entwives, and they honored them greatly, but we were only a legend to them a secret in the heart of the forest. Yet here we still are, while all the gardens of the Entwives are wasted. I remember it was long ago, in the time of a great war. Desire came over me to see Fimbrathal again. Very fair she was still in my eyes when I had last seen her, though little like the Ent Maiden of old, for the Entwives were bent and browned by their labor, their hair parched by the sun to the hue of ripe corn and their cheeks like red apples. Yet their eyes were still the eyes of our own people. We crossed over the mountains and came to their land, but we found a desert. It was all burned and uprooted, for war had passed over it. But the Entwives were not there. Long we called, and long we searched, and we asked all folk that we met which way they had gone. Some said they had never seen them, and some said that they saw them walking away west and some said east, and others said south. But nowhere that we went could we find them. Our sorrow was very great. Yet the wild wood called, and we returned to it.
For many years, we used to go out every now and again and look for the Entwives, walking far and wide and calling them by their beautiful names. But as time passed, we went more seldom and wandered less far. And now the Entwives are only a memory for us, and our beards are long and gray. The elves made many songs concerning the search of the Ents, and some of those songs have passed into the tongues of men. But we made no songs about it, being content to chant their beautiful names when we thought of them. We believe that we may meet again in the time to come, and perhaps we shall find somewhere a land where we can live together and both be content. And it may well be that time is drawing near at last. This is how the sad story goes. I dare say it is fair enough, but the Ents could say more on their side if they had time. But now I am going to stand up and take a little sleep. Where will you stand? We usually lie down to sleep, said Mary. We shall be all right where we are. Lie down to sleep, said Treebeard. Why, of course you do. Hmm, I was forgetting. Telling you that story put my mind back into old times. Almost thought that I was talking to young trees. Well, you can lie in the bed. I'm going to stand in the rain. Good night. Mary and Pippin climbed onto the bed and curled up in the soft grass and fern. It was fresh and sweet-scented and warm. The lights died down, and the glow of the trees faded. But outside, under the arch, they could see old Treebeard standing, motionless with his arms raised above his head. The bright stars peered out of the sky and lit the falling water as it spilled onto his fingers and head, and dripped in hundreds of silver drops onto his feet, listening to the tinkling of the drops. The hobbits fell asleep.